To all the exhausted village. I'm, that's what I'm going to call your fans, Kyle. The exhausted village. Shout out to the exhausted educator. <laughs> this is a Holding On To Learning LLC production. Woo! The ideas expressed on this show are not the views of their employer. Besides, if you really want to take advice from this guy, well, you should probably do it at your own risk. You're going to love the exhausted educator. <laughs> What is going on, Education Heroes? Thank you for dropping into the Exhausted Educator Show. This episode's going to be a little bit different because we're going to spend a vast majority of it diving into the ins and outs of understanding the student behaviors you might be seeing in your classroom. I do know a little bit about behaviors. I have ADHD, although mine is a specific type. It is frugal. ADHD because I have a hard time paying attention. No more dad jokes! Now I have ADHD. I don't know about frugal or not, but at any rate, I do have a little bit of knowledge about working with students with behaviors from my experiences in the classroom with special education and also my current position. However, I've got nowhere near the knowledge of our guest today. And we're going to dive deep into understanding student behaviors. This episode is actually going to be part of a two-part series. And so we're not going to use our usual party time and and get into some other things. It's going to be all about our guest, which is probably a really good thing. More of her, less of me, everybody wins. We'll get into that in a second. This particular portion of... This podcast is going to be about understanding the student behavior. And there are boatloads of behaviors we're seeing out there in education land. It's trying. It is hard on you. So we wanted to find a way to bring somebody in who can give you some general knowledge and some really helpful pieces of information to help support those students who are struggling with behavior challenges. The next part Our next podcast will be the other part of this interview with our amazing guest. It will be really diving into interventions and what are some things specifically you can do to help those students in your classroom. So two parts. I think you're really going to enjoy her. So let's get into it. Here's the rundown for this episode. And it's super easy because it's all about our amazing guest, She's going to dive into understanding the student and the students in your classroom and their behaviors because it has been immensely challenging working with students who have a wide variety of challenging behaviors. At the tail end, we're also going to dive into something brand new in our Recharged Educator community. If you haven't signed up for our community yet, you need to get in there. It's free. You can hook up in the show notes down below and join. we got a lot of awesome things going on, and we're going to talk about some live sessions that we're going to be having that are coming up in April and in May, and you can only access the live session by being in the community. Some really cool people we've invited in to do just share some information about topics and also do some Q&As. So 
at the end, I'm going to dive into some specifics about that. So let's go ahead and get the rest of this thing going. Let me take a second and talk about our awesome guest, Alexandra Held. She's a board-certified behavior analyst, which means she's really good at understanding behaviors, specifically, in our case, student behaviors. She has got a wide variety of experiences to draw from because she hasn't always been in the education space, at least not the public education space. She's worked with adults with behavior challenges, and she's done a variety of different things. She is super, super elite in understanding behavior. I'm honestly, I'm not blowing smoke here when I say she's probably the the most intelligent person I have ever met when it comes to understanding behavior. I always walk away feeling a little bit smarter, and I hope that's the case with you too. She's going to dive into understanding behavior, understanding the root, the function of behavior. And in the second part of our, of our talk together, which you'll, you'll catch in the next episode, she'll dive deeper into interventions. I really think you're going to enjoy her conversation. She's so intelligent. She knows her stuff. She is the boots on the ground. She's not just somebody who's talking about do this and do that. She rolls up her sleeves and gets in the classroom right now to help students and help staff. She's one of the most amazing people that I know, to be honest with you. She's awesome. You're going to love her. Alex Held. So ladies and gentlemen, here you go. Ladies and gentlemen, I am super excited to have a friend on who, in my opinion, is like elite status in behavior oh, support. <laughs> and I honestly believe that. If you showed up to any of the schools she works with, you'd probably see her running down the hallway from room to room, trying to help out in any way she can. Alex Held, thank you so much for jumping on. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be on this show. <laughs> Alex, you know, uh, you have, and I've told you this before, you have just an overwhelming, like, compassionate heart, and you just want to get in, roll up your sleeves and help people and help kids, and I just think it, it's super powerful, and you've made such a, an amazing impact on our school district, and I love the fact that we get to share your amazing, uh, wonderful journey and the amazing things you do with others, so do me a favor and dive into how you got to this point because your journey into what is now the education space um, is a different route altogether. Yes. Thank you. First and foremost, thank you so much. And like, I truly mean that it's really an honor to be on the show here. I'm really excited <laughs> Been listening to a lot of your podcasts so far. So I'm super pumped to be a part of this and just share any knowledge that, that I have here. Um, so my journey, it's a lengthy one. Um, <laughs> So I would say first and foremost, coming out of college, um, I was a in college, an education major actually first for early childhood education, did that for a year, um, my freshman year and was like, mm, I like teaching, but I'm not sure this is the route that I want to take. Um, I had a couple science classes and some psychology classes that I was a little bit more interested in. Um, I was also playing uh, basketball in college, so I was a collegiate athlete. Uh, and I got did not really, know that. I was, yes. Awesome. Not a lot of people know that I say awesome. that. They're like, really? 
<laughs> yes, I did. I played basketball in college. Awesome. Were you <laughs> a guard? Level, nothing serious. Gotcha. But... Were you a guard? Um, so I guess with my height, I could go, range from like a guard to sometimes a post player, depending on the teams we played, if they were fast. Wow. Awesome. Kind of move back and forth around a little bit, but awesome. yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so I had ended up changing my major to pre-physical therapy with, uh, focus in psychology. So I had a lot of psych classes and then with the pre-physical therapy route, had a lot of science classes. Um, it ended up being a sociology class that I was in and they touched on applied behavior analysis. And it's funny because I'll like, I'll never forget the class that, you know, I can't remember my professor, but I remember this class in particular <laughs> that it touched on ABA. Um, and it was in more of the organizational and behavior management realm. So not necessarily teaching or working with individuals with autism or intellectual disabilities, but um, more just like how ABA is really everywhere in the world. So like stores you walk into, like things are specifically placed in stores because they've taken data and the research has shown that if we place these products here, they're more likely to be purchased or, or things like that. Um, so I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, I also in college was heavily involved in Special Olympics. Um, I did that in high school as well. So I kind of always had a niche there uh, with working with that population. Um, after college, I ended up having no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> was like, maybe I should have stayed the teaching route. Uh, I ended up going to a job fair um, at the Melmark School in Pennsylvania. And they, I saw within the job fair notes that they were having a program with applied behavior analysis where they offered like a six course sequence through Temple University. And the teachers actually came to the work site and you were able to take the courses right at work after afterwards. So I was like, this is really cool. Um, and you know, they would pay for the courses and things like that. So I got a job on the spot in a vocational program working with adults. So these were adults who had just transitioned from the school age program into um, a vocational program, but still required um, some supports in terms of skill building as well as, as, well as behavioral management. Um, so I did that for about two years and really got my feet wet into what applied behavior analysis was and also working with the population as well as working with teachers. Um, I always like to point out that when I very first started working there, so it was a two week orientation period, uh, which consisted of kind of a week of, you know, the basics of, you know, the workplace environment, things like that. And then the second week of orientation was a crash course in applied behavior analysis. So really going through all of the basics of ABA and things like that. So imagine if you had no idea what ABA was, they try to teach you it in one week, <laughs> uh, a lot of like task analyses and things like this. So it was a lot all in one week, a lot of information, um, but I was hooked. I was like, okay, this, I'm doing the right thing here. I'm going the route that I want to. This is really, really cool. Um, four weeks in, I had been trained on an individual that I was working with. And again, we're working with individuals that do engage in challenging behavior. Uh, prior to this, I really didn't have a lot of experience with this at all or what it even looked like or what to expect. Um, so this is week four of being in the job. I was grabbed by the hair, thrown to the ground, hair pulled out of my head. I had scratches all over the top half of my body. Oh. Um, I came back though, you know, That's and I think it was, it was one of those moments where I think working in this field and working with that population of individuals that do engage in the more severe challenging behavior, you do need to make a decision if 
is this the right place for me? Cause it isn't for everybody and it's hard, right. Right. you know, it's a really hard job to work with that population. Um, but they're a population that needs so much help, um, and care overall. Agreed. Um, but I came back and was like, all right, I'm going to do this. So it was like, I made the decision that week. Okay. I'm coming back in. We're doing this. <laughs> um, so really from there on, um, I were, I did my coursework. I moved into a couple different positions within that same, um, workplace. So I worked in their residential treatment facility program, which is a 24 seven program, um, working with, I would say, higher acuity individuals. So these were age individuals from like about five, six to 21. So younger population than when I had first started out, engaged in a lot higher levels of challenging behavior. Um, so these were individuals that, you know, couldn't live at home. They needed to be at a residence, um, 24 hour care. Uh, also we had heavily involved, you know, we had a neurologist, uh, psych psychiatrist on staff, um, a amazing nurse practitioner nurses on staff. So it was a huge interdisciplinary team that was a part of, um, all these individuals kind of team, a big team approach here, um, as well as, you know, your speech and language pathologist, your occupational therapist, your physical therapist. Um, so I got a lot of, I would say my intense clinical experience in that program. Um, absolutely loved it, but I got four concussions <laughs> within oh, a two year span. Wow. Um, again, loved it, but I was like, all right, I think I'm ready to kind of step away from maybe this of an intense environment and, learn something different. So then I transitioned into their school program, which um, this is where I learned a lot about, you know, individualized education plans. And I worked alongside um, two teachers. So as a behavior analyst in the school, you oversaw typically two classrooms. So I supervised two teachers, two special education teachers within, within those classrooms, um, and then oversaw um, all the students within those rooms who required behavioral interventions. Um, learned a lot about how to be a supervisor in that <laughs> position. Um, again, especially because I, I will say like I was young as a supervisor, um, but I was also supervising two teachers when that wasn't my expertise area. You know, I didn't go to school to be a special education teacher. So it was very much of me learning um, my supervision style and how I'm going to supervise in this situation yeah. scenario, because I'm not in a place where I feel like I can give you necessarily the right feedback if that's not my air. Like I've never learned how to write an IEP right. or anything like that. So right. um, what I took from that though, is what can I learn here from these two amazing teachers that I have? So it was very much of a collaborative, I would say experience. And I always treated them as colleagues, you know? Um, yes, I was there to provide feedback and support when needed, but it was very much of a, we're going to work together in this situation. I'm going to learn from you. You can learn from me and let's, let's try to support these students to the best of our abilities. And it ended up, I think, working out very, very well. I learned a lot in that role. Um, I ended up becoming certified right before I left at that program. And then I joined an adult program. So I kind of came full circle, starting out working with adults and then working with adults again. Um, and then in this position, so one of my um, really great colleagues that I worked with at the previous program, she kind of ventured off on her own. She'd gotten her PhD and um, kind of headed a new one up and coming program in New Jersey um, that focused on providing uh, high quality behavioral supports for adults who still needed those supports. Um, and I have to say, there's a 
huge disparity in supports when you go from turning 21 and up. Um, And it's a shame because the support is still needed for these individuals, but I think it's a lot of those, you know, you've laws and regulations in place that it's the, and people that are creating these that aren't actually seeing what's happening here. And it's like, oh, they turned 21 challenge behavior magically disappears when <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> Not quite. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So it's so much funding is still needed to support these individuals. And a lot of it goes away. Mm. Um, so it is really hard to find good quality based adult programs, um, especially for the individuals that do engage in severe challenging behavior and maybe can't live at home still. Um, So I started working at this program and was the assistant director of uh, behavioral services there. Um, It was a huge learning curve going from the school program (laughs) where you have a million resources to really not having much at all. Um, But again, it was a big, big, huge learning experience for me. one, I think one of the most difficult things was it was so hard and there was a big staffing turnover, you know, while working this program. Again, adult programming is hard. Um, and with the funding resources, you know, you can't pay staff what you would typically pay right. in your education settings. Um, so we did have high, high staff turnover. Even just finding staff is difficult because when we would typically want you know, a certain level of staff of getting certain certifications or things like that. A lot of those people who have those certifications aren't going to take that job because they can get a better paying job, you know, working mm-hmm. with a younger population. Yeah. So, so it was just really tough. Um, I was on call 24 seven, literally Wear you <laughs> um, down fast. And it was a two year period. Um, so yes, I would say I got very worn down. Again, I think we tried our hardest with the program, but we just didn't have the resources um, to provide the support that we needed to for the individuals. Um, so I ended up um, in this, I did start a blog. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit more, but yep. um, I ended up taking a medical leave uh, due to um, severe depression and suicidal ideation. Um, I'm very open and honest about going through this because I you. think it's it's good for other people to kind of know Absolutely. about it. Yep. Um, because I know there's a lot of other people out there that have felt like that before. And sometimes just knowing somebody else is going through the same thing helps. Sure does. You know, and it's like, okay, I'm not alone here. Yep. So that was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. You know, I I got to a point where I'm like, I don't. I don't know if I'm in the right field anymore. I, I don't know if this is right for me. Um, I needed to take a step away, which it was a great, great thing to do. It was really hard to do because I didn't want to leave, right. but it was the best thing that I could have ever done for myself. Um, so I really had to take a hard look at, you know, do I want to stay in this profession or are there other things out there or other venues out there where I can still do what I want to do, but maybe not working 24 seven. Yeah. No kidding. I all, I also think it's one of those things where you get into a position where you're so in it and you can't see the forest from the trees mm. that you don't think there's anything else out there. Um, but once I started looking for other jobs, I realized, okay, there's other things out there that might, <laughs> might create a nice work-life balance. Right. A little bit easier on you. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I think a lot of it too is also, um, And I like being able to like start my journey from start to beginning here to really explain it because I don't think me kind of getting to that place just happened in that last job. I think it was probably accumulation of events and a perfect storm here that it happened. Um, 
and it it isn't something I think that is talked about a lot, but staff that are working with individuals that engage in high levels of challenge behavior, and I mean the severe end of, you know, um, targeted aggression and uh, severe self-injury, those are really hard things to kind of see and experience on a day-to-day basis, sure. you know, working in a job. So, and it's not talked about a lot because I think it's one of those taboo things where, you know, especially the targeted aggression piece, because at the end of the day, and I even talk about this in my blogs, I never would say like, it's the individual's fault or take it personally. Cause it's not personal. Like this person needs help. And this is how they've learned how to communicate their wants and needs because they have no other way or have not learned another way, you know, and it's our job to try and fix that and teach them the more appropriate ways, but that doesn't make it any easier. Right. Sure. Um, so, and again, I just don't think it's talked about because we don't, we don't want to talk about individuals in a light that's like, oh, they attacked this person, you know, right. um, and I still don't talk about it that way. And I think that's important to keep the individual's respect and dignity with that. But it is an important topic, I think, in terms of staff um, and their well-beings and mental health. Yep. So I think it was kind of just working in that field and that more intense setting for that extended period of time. Then going into a job where I was nonstop working, I mean, my phone was going off every hour. It was going off in the middle of the night. I just, there was no outlet for anything else. And sure. I didn't see the way out. Um, so I think that's kind of where it came to. <laughs> yeah. But I think through, ther- I started therapy, you know, I started a blog and kind of getting some thoughts and feelings out there. And all of those things really helped. Um, so like with the blog I started, uh, it was really when I was taking some time off, I started getting into home decor and like design and DIY projects and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, like this is a really nice outlet for me to kind of find a balance here. Uh, but I kind of want to talk about the mental health piece. So I started a blog called Betty and L. Um, it's named after both my grandmothers. Oh, that's nice. Coincidentally, I had created it and then they both passed during the mm. pandemic. Oh. It's very interesting how all that happens, but I think things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I created this blog really to just get it out there to people that, you know, it's okay to feel, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to take a pause sometimes. Um, and then I do just talk about the field of ABA and, you know, where I think we need some additional support for just educators out there in general. Um, then also some fun DIY projects too, which cool. is really cool. Cool. Well, um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of my journey to here. <laughs> I am so happy and I'm always happy to have whoever's on to, to spend a couple minutes talking about their journey to get to the point that they're at. However, with you particularly, <laughs> I would I just kind of feel like it's really important for you to flush out everything that you've done because you're absolutely the real deal when it comes to behavior. And I, I'm not just saying this from my personal perspective, because I do believe this, but uh, from many in our district, we hit the gold mine when you showed up at our doorstep. <laughs> so uh, you're oh, so loved. You. <laughs> and can you can you just share real quick, you know, what you do for our district, where you're at yeah, now? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um And I will say first and foremost, too, I was very lucky to land on your doorstep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I say that because, you know, I have other colleagues working in other districts and don't always get the support, I guess, from leadership, especially um, if the people above them or their supervisor isn't a BCBA or understands the role. You don't always get that that uh, support. But I 
I have to say, and maybe she'll listen to this, but my supervisor in general, honestly, that's the, that was my biggest sticking point for coming to the district is she wanted to push for, you know, kind of building a behavioral team for the district. And she had a vision when I talked to her and I think still does. And it's, taking us time to find more of me. <laughs> you, the, um, you, you, you do not grow on trees. I really wish you did. <laughs> it's taking time to find more of me's in the world, especially I think in the state of Delaware and in Cesar Rodney, yep. but, um, but uh, we're trying to get more. Um, and honestly, at the end of the day, that's, I'm thankful for that. At least we're still trying to find more and that way we can give more support in the school. Yep. Um, yeah. So what do I do? <laughs> Besides district. run up and down the hallways from classroom to classroom, which you do often. <laughs> if I could clone myself or triplicate myself, yes. I wish I could. <laughs> and we wish you could too. Yes. Um, I guess the first thing is, uh, b- before even getting to kind of what I do, because this has all to do with what I do, but really what is applied behavior analysis? And, and I say this is an important question because I think when I first started in the district, I was the first BCBA to be a district-wide BCBA. So a lot of the classrooms that I was going into either had some knowledge of what ABA was or what a BCBA was um, and wasn't really sure what exactly I did or they had bad experiences with it before or had no idea what it even was. (laughs) (laughs) So I had kind of a full spectrum of things. So I tried to keep an open mind in every classroom I went to and was like, okay, we're going to start fresh in every room. Um, So really what applied behavior analysis is, though, it's really a scientific approach to understanding behavior. Um, It follows a set of principles that focus on behavior change um, and how uh, those behaviors are affected by the environment. And when we talk about behavior, we are like, we're really referring to a set of skills that could be either good skills or skills that we don't want to see or behaviors we don't want to see. So um, whenever I do talk about behavior, that could be good things or maladaptive behavior that we want to decrease here. Um, ABA uses evidence-based practices. uh, And our main goal is to increase those good functional skills and then decrease challenging behavior um, and really focus on socially significant outcomes. And, and when I say socially significant outcomes, really what I mean are meaningful outcomes to the individual and the main stakeholders around them. So the families, um, the teachers, everyone working with them, but ultimately the individual themselves. Um, we really want to make sure that what we are teaching them is meaningful to them in their life. Right. Um, so that's ideally what ABA is. I mean, I could go on and on more about what ABA <laughs> is, but um, I will say too, because I think there is a good, and I just wanted to touch on this briefly, because I do think there is some misinformation out there about applied behavior analysis. And I mean, ABA has been around since the 20th century. So uh, dating way, way back, um, you know, even I think some people think of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest mm. when they think of sometimes like ABA practices. Still and have really, nightmares from that movie. Right, right. <laughs> and I think that is more of that behavior modification that we previously saw, but a applied behavior analysis itself has really evolved and I think is still evolving. Um, like any scientific approach out there, science in general, we're constantly evolving. Um and actually, uh, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here with a couple articles, but <laughs> I think ahead. it's important. <laughs> but I think it's important. Um, so, a couple of re- uh, recent articles I would say that have come out in the past couple of years. Um, so, like Dr. Justin Leaf has a great ar- article about being a progressive behavior analyst, um, and he really touches on I think some good pieces that 
where there is a misconception about ABA that we're all punishment-based um, when that really isn't the case. And I think these are other things that have happened maybe way back in the day, but it's not applied behavior analysis. Right. So there's been a huge evolution of those things. And also um, just in terms of how we're assessing individuals, um, you have people like Dr. Greg Hanley, who's come up, uh, came up with the practical functional assessment, which um, is another, I think, revolutionary tool that now we have as behavior analysts to use to assess behavior, um, I think, in just more humane of a way, um, which is really cool, I think. Um, yep. So just some articles for reference in case anybody <laughs> wants some light reading on a Saturday. Yep. That's all good. That's good stuff. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess before I get into the quick and dirty of kind of what I do as a BCB in school, um, there's a couple things I think that are important important for people to know. Um, and again, I, I'm bringing this from kind of walking to a classroom, people not knowing what even is a BCBA? What does that stand for? Right. Right. <laughs> um, cause that's important. I think to just know overall. So a BCBA is a board certified behavior analyst. Um, there's a couple of different types of, I think, ABA therapists or, um, you have people like RBTs now registered behavior technicians that are coming into schools. You have paraprofessionals in schools. Um, so we have a couple different, um, terms uh, that we can use uh, within applied behavior analysis. So we have our BCBAs, which are board certified behavior analysts, which can be either a master's level BCBA or a doctoral level BCBA. Um, so your master's level BCBAs have gone through um, a certificate approved certification program, have gotten their master's and have also done an extensive amount of hours of clinical um, supervised field work. Um, so right now, and this actually just changed in 2022, um, now you have to accrue um, up to 2000 hours of supervised experience. So there's a lot of work that goes into becoming a BCBI. Um, and then once you do all that, you have to pass a really hard exam too. <laughs> to top it off. Right. Um, the, the icing so on top. Yeah. So that's, I guess, your what a BCBA is and what it, what it's coming to become a BCBA. Um, you also have board certified assistant behavior analysts. So these are people um, that don't have a master's level degree, but have um, taken coursework. Uh, it, typically, it's your core courses in applied behavior analysis. And then you've also gone through um, a certain number of hours of supervised field work as well and have to pass an exam to become that um, also. And then you have your RBTs, which is your registered behavior technicians who have gone through, it's a 40 hour course. Uh, you then have to do some supervised field work, do a competency assessment and take an exam to become an RBT as well. Um, and then within all of that, uh, for BCABAs and then RBTs, you have to be continuing accruing supervision from a BCBA for BCABAs and a BCABA or BCBA or BCBD for RBTs. So, <laughs> That's so a there's mouthful. a lot of continuing supervision that goes on in the roles as well. Gotcha. Um, we also have a very, I would say, extensive um, ethical code that we follow also. Um, again, if you want any light reading, you could go to the BACB website to see all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the beginning of what I do as a BCBA. Gotcha. Um, then really to get into it in, in terms of like what I'm doing in the schools. So uh, really when we're getting uh, looking in the schools, and I know we'll kind of get to this probably a little bit later, but with working in the classrooms and working with individuals, our job is really consisting of we are evaluating, assessing, um, 
individuals or looking at the classroom as a whole, we conduct, conduct various assessments, um, either indirect or direct assessments to determine function of challenging behavior. And then we really work as a collaborative team within the school to kind of fine tune and come up with a plan for the individual or looking at the classroom as a whole for looking at classroom management strategies. Um, uh, putting that in place, make sure people are fully trained on these things and then continued oversight with taking lots of data, graphing those data. Um, if things aren't working, we need to go back to the drawing board and figure out, okay, what do we need to change if something is in, you know, going in the direction that we want to, um, but really requires quite a bit of oversight yeah. <laughs> and an, an initial evaluation, I will say. Okay. Um, one of the things too, I think I do in our school district is provide trainings for people. Um, you know, as, uh, a BCB across a whole school district, uh, one of the things that I would say I've learned being in this new role, because I've only been in this position for a year and a half, almost two years now. Yep. So I'm kind of learning as I go, I'm, I'm still learning as I go, but really what can we do to kind of prevent a lot of things in the first place, since there is only me. So it's trying to give teachers some tools and tricks that they can use within their classrooms to kind of help that way, maybe that they don't need to get to me. Right. Um, so those are some of the things within the yep. district. Do. You do a ton and I'm with you. We, we would all love to be able to clone you and I'm hundred percent sure a lot of our staff would love that too. Um, so we're going to dive into, you know, the ins and outs of behavior and supporting how we support behavior in the classroom and, and some of the, the great ideas you have. When we talk about behavior, you kind of look at it from an individual standpoint, and then some people, you know, you also look at it from like a classroom management standpoint. Could you just kind of dive into a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's a big question too. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I think uh, I'll get into kind of both, but I do think a lot of the things go hand in hand also in terms of looking at the classroom as a whole and the individual. Um, so starting out, I'll say like with the individual. So and this will kind of be some answer answer for classroom as well. But anytime I'm working with uh, one individual, I get a referral for a functional behavior assessment or a consult in a classroom to see kind of what's going on or do we need to do a functional behavior assessment? Um, it's kind of one of those questions of like, I think something's happening here, happening here, but I don't know if it's just something we need to tweak within the classroom environment or if it's something that we need to do that's more individualized for the, for the student. Um, so if a functional behavior assessment is uh, required for any student, I mean, one of the first things that I go in and do is really, I just go in and kind of sit in the classroom and hang out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's important because, you know, I, I'm not somebody who's going to be in your classroom every day. So I want to build rapport with the teacher first yep. <laughs> and get 100%. to know them yep. that's 100 because at right. the end of the day, I could, once we get through everything and put a plan in place, if I don't have buy-in from that teacher or haven't built a relationship and rapport with that teacher, probably nothing's going to get done. <laughs> so, so I do think that's super important. That's one of the first things I do that I walk when I walk in any classroom is really just get to know the teacher, you know, um, Hey, how's it going in here? What things are you seeing? So almost doing kind of like an, uh, an interview with her, but even just from a whole classroom perspective, uh, I might not even that first time in the classroom, even take date on the student, but just looking at the classroom as a whole. Right. Um, so what, what, what is the classroom layout and organization look like? Um, 
do I see things that are cluttered or are things labeled if they need to be? Um, where is the student positioned within the classroom? Um, I'll never forget walking to a classroom and the student was engaging elopement and they were seated right next to the door. Um, <laughs> not, not really setting them up for success right. there. And, and again, I think kind of like I talked about earlier, you can't see the forest from the trees. I think sometimes it is something simple that we might need, might be able to just modify the environment. Um, but again, I think you sometimes get into this, this zone of like, I tried everything in here and nothing's working. And that right. might not be something you think about. Right. Um, and it's not a bad thing. I think sometimes it just takes a, a fresh set of eyes coming in there. Yep. Um, yep. So really, that's kind of the first thing I do is kind of look at your overall classroom. Um, what types of strategies do you already have in place within your classroom? Um, are your expectations clear and not just for the student you're having difficulty with, but for everyone? Um, do you have a schedule in place? Is there um, a nice structure to your day in the classroom? Um, what do transitions look like? Um, are they getting breaks throughout the day? Um, and something I think we didn't even think about beforehand. I mean, I think back to when I was in school, I don't remember getting brain breaks. Or no, I, I don't either. <laughs> right. Um, but again, I think that's a, a result of the pandemic where that was a thing in the virtual learning environment where we needed to give students an outlet to move yeah. because they were sitting in front of a screen. But I think it's something so important that should be continued within your classroom because it's something that really worked. And it was like, wow, this is a really cool tool that kind of came out here. Yep. Okay, let's continue with it in the classroom. Yep. Um, so I look at some of those things. Um, but also uh, po the positive reinforcement piece. So how often are these students getting reinforced for good behavior that they're engaging in? Um, and not only that, but um, has the teacher built a rapport with the students that she's working with? Um, and what does that relationship look like? And sometimes you can see those things within the first 10 minutes of being in the classroom of, who I see what the problem is here of, oh, man, there's a lot of reprimands going on here, not a lot of praise. And, you know, <laughs> oh, we might wanna look at this piece. Um, yep. Or you see everything done to a T and you're like, okay, they have tried everything here, you right. know, right. Um, at least from their perspective, especially if it's only one teacher in a classroom mm -hmm. and say they have 15 to 20 kids and maybe five of them have IEPs. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a lot of work for one teacher to sure. be doing. Yep. Um, so those are some of the things that I would look at first with working with uh, just one individual, but those are things I would also look at in terms of overall classroom management as well. Um, and then going into more of the working in, in the individual part. Um, so if I haven't, so if some of those things haven't been laid out, those might be some of the first um, suggestions that I give, like, hey, let's look at you know the clear expectations, things like that. Sometimes even just fixing some of those things then we might not need a full FBA right. for the student if it, if it is just some of those other things that need to be fine-tuned within the classroom. Um, and I've had some instances where that is the case that, especially on consults that I've gone in there where they're, um, they're not sure if an FBA is needed, but let's go in and kind of just check and see what's going on. And it might just be some environmental modifications that that are needed and, and that's it and we're good. Um, other times, everything's done and we're still seeing high rates of challenging behavior or both. We might not have some clear expectations, but clearly this individual is really struggling with staying in their seat. They're eloping from the room five times a day. They're engaging in property disruption. They're flipping their desk whenever demands are placed. Um, so again, I'll typically know pretty quickly 
you know, okay, we need to continue on with assessing here and get some individualized stuff in place. So in terms of doing the FBA, um, quite a bit goes into it. So we have our indirect assessments, which are questionnaires uh, that I'll give to the teachers, uh, parents, uh, anybody that works directly with the student. Um, I'll also work with um, any other team members that are out of my expertise area. So that could be the school counselor that I talk to, um, the SLP if they um, are getting speech services, occupational therapy. Um, don't see PT as much, I think, in, in this setting that I'm working with, but P I have worked with physical therapists as well. Um, so really getting an idea from them of, you know, what do they think the function of challenging behavior is? And we have some pretty thorough questionnaires that I might ask for that. And then we also have interviews that we'll do. So I really like the open-ended um, um, interview that Dr. Greg Hanley has. I think it's a great interview questionnaire um, to give teachers and parents in particular. Uh, you can get a lot of information from just interviewing um, the people that work directly with the student and they're the ones that you again you want to build the rapport with because you're probably going to get the best amount of information from them um and then outside of doing the uh indirect assessments then we get into our direct assessments so this is the really fun data collection <laughs> so kind of just sitting in there and taking extensive data on how often certain behaviors are occurring and again i mean the good behaviors that we want to see so how often is a kid engaging in demand compliance? How often are they sitting in their seat? Um, are they engaging with peers appropriately or using materials appropriately? But then on the flip side, looking at, okay, how often is non-compliance occurring? How often are they eloping from the classroom or whatever the target behavior is for that student? Um, so we'll take a lot of data there. And then we'll also take ABC data so what this is, is antecedent behavior consequence data. Um, so what this is, is we wanna find out what happened before the behavior occurred, what exactly the behavior is, and then what ha happened after. Um, sometimes when I say like antecedent behavior consequence, they're like, oh, well, this is the consequence. They got sent here. That's not what I'm, that is, that could be the consequence, but really portion, just right. what it is, it's what happened after. Consequence doesn't always have to have a negative connotation. Right. <laughs> it's more just talking about a time time frame of when it occurred. Right. Um, so we'll take that and then we'll compile everything, uh, put it in a nice uh, pretty graphs. And then we see current rates of where everything is occurring. Uh, we can also do some more in-depth ass direct assessment. So, um, and these I could probably talk about way more at length, but really just the short of these are we have our functional analysis. So um, if we're doing a functional ana analysis, we're manipulating the environment um, really to evoke challenging behavior to determine function. I would say this is uh, this would be an assessment that I would do if maybe we couldn't quite pinpoint what the function was with using the less restrictive assessments. This might be something that we need. Um, um, I've done these before, and I would say a lot more restrictive settings, like in res residential settings, we ran functional analyses. Um, this isn't something that I've had to do with in a classroom, um, nor do I think it would necessarily be appropriate to do in the classroom setting. Um, and again, I was talking about earlier, there has been an evolution with uh, applied behavior analysis overall. Um, there's an another assessment out there that's, I think, really great, which is uh, the practical functional assessment. Um, so this assessment... Um, was created by Dr. Greg Hanley. Um, and what this is, is it's, so it's a long kind of word for it, but it's the interview informed synthesized contingency analysis or also known as the ISCA. 
Um, so that we now we have this assessment and it's one that you can actually do in your natural learning environment. Um, it's a little bit easier to implement. You do have to be fully trained in how to um, conduct this assessment, but I think it's an assessment that has come out in the last few years that I think is a great tool to be used in a classroom setting. Um, so we have some of those things that we could use. Gotcha. Once we get all of that together, <laughs> <laughs> once we get all of that together, all the pieces, then that's when we look at um, putting a plan together uh, based on what the function was. And when I say function, really what that is, is um, is the student engaging in challenge we were to escape, um, not preferred task demands or escape work, things like that. Are they trying to access tangibles? Are they trying to access attention? Or could there something be something more underlying? Uh, maybe there's a sensory related issue um, or what we would call automatic reinforcement. So it's not something that's directly related to the environment. Um, that is definitely a more difficult uh, function to work with because again, it's something internal that we don't always have control over. Uh, but those are things that um, are super important for us to know. So once we know the function, then we put a really nice plan together. Uh, we spend a lot of hours doing research to figure out what procedures and elements within the plan that are going to make most sense for the student to put in place. Whenever I uh, talk about behavior intervention plans or just strategies overall, um, this isn't a cookie cutter approach. You know, this is very individualized. So what might have worked for one individual isn't going to work for another individual. Yep. Um, so just because I just wrote a plan for Sally in second grade and that work is working so well doesn't mean I'm going to just automatically implement the same exact plan for Johnny, who's also in second grade. Yep. Um, we still have to do the work, do the assessment figure out the function and then look at, okay, what strategies are going to make most sense for this individual? Um, we put that all within a really nice plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, with those strategies and a big component of that is what we're teaching the individual. So when we are talking about challenging behavior, um, it's a form of communication. So these individuals have learned and probably could have a lengthy learning history, depending on their age and what grade they're in of this is how I've learned how to communicate my wants and needs by doing this, which could be hitting or could be swiping materials or could be spitting, could be biting, um, just non-compliance in general, I've learned that, well, if I put my head down so many times, my teacher's just going to eventually leave me alone and I'm not going to have to do anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So, but that's how they've learned. Yep. Okay. This is how I get access to my wants and needs. Yep. So our goal then is to teach them how do they get access to those wants and needs, but in a more appropriate way. So um, that just comes down to functional communication training. So um, just a quick example of this, say we've an individual who has learned Every time I don't want to do a writing task, I flip my desk or start screaming and yelling. One of the big things we might teach them is to request for a break. So they're still getting access to that same want and need of escaping the task, but it's in a much more appropriate way. And then the goal would be that over time, once they gain fluency with requesting a break on their own and independently, and they're, I, hey, I need a break before they're even getting frustrated. Yep, go ahead. You can take a break. And then we'll slowly fade out of it. Um, and all of this is done very systematically and, uh, again, on an individual basis of uh, how successful they are. Okay, now we can move to the next step here and all based on the data. Um, so that's kind of in general what gotcha. we would do for an individual yep. within a classroom. Yep. And that all builds up really well to where, where I'm hoping to go. So now taking it back to like the individual student, I'm a firm believer, as pretty much everybody is in education now, I hope, you know, the importance yes. of relationship building. And 
I think we're going to really kind of get into the importance of diving deep within, you know, working with the individual students. So many, so many teachers and paras and administrators have had real challenges working with students, especially coming out of the pandemic, probably more than we've ever had. Even, uh, as I said, before we even hit the record button, <laughs> I feel like a lot of uh, what we've done in special education uh, over the years has been, well, those special education students, they're struggling with their behaviors, right? They've got a behavior plan and so forth. Now I'm seeing a lot more trickle into even our general education environment. Kids without behavior intervention plans, kids without IEPs are now also showing uh, significant behaviors. So can you just touch on the importance of building that relationship with that individual student, which is immense, yes. right? Yes. I, I mean, if I could just scream, like, it's so important. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it, I mean, it really is, though. I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more that I think rapport building and just built relationship building overall with our students is really key before we do anything. Yep. Uh, before we're teaching anything, before we're setting expectations in general, like yep. building that rapport and relationship and trust in particular is just crucial. Um, I would say, especially coming out of the pandemic. And I think just with talking from a lot of teachers with the pandemic, we've been able to get this view into some of our students' homes that we wouldn't have gotten before um, outside of the pandemic. Um which I think, granted, I didn't want to have to go through a pandemic to figure this right, out. Right, no kidding. But, Hard but way to learn. I think, and a lot of the school counselors that I've talked to about this topic in particular were acknowledging that there could potentially be or is um, trauma going on in the home, um, or they're coming just from dif really difficult home environments in general. And that could have been something that we might not have been aware of before. Um, which means that relationship building is even more crucial for us. You know, when a kid walks into a classroom, especially if they're coming from a difficult home or any home in general, I'm with this person, how many hours during a day for how many weeks at a time, how many months at a time, how many years, yeah. you know, I'm with this person. And if that trust isn't there, or, you know, I walk into a classroom like, oh, I don't, they're not, you know, they're, they yell at me all the time or they're not praising me. You're good luck getting that student to do anything for you. You are them, speaking you know? my language. That, that's right. exactly yeah. right. Yes. <laughs> yep. Good luck. Good luck. If they, if they don't have a, a trust with you, right. I'm not yeah. saying even if you have a great relationship that everything's going to be perfect. That is not how yep. it works at all. Yep. But if you don't have a trust, if they, if they don't, if they're not aware that you care about them as a person, your yes. your ability to make a, a positive impact with them behaviorally that is going to slope off significantly. Yes, I totally agree. Totally yep. and wholeheartedly agree yep. with you. Um, uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think too it can be a little very easy sometimes to build that relationship, and sometimes all it is is just checking in with each student in the morning when they walk in the door, just saying hi to them or you know, getting down to their level and asking them, you know, how did you sleep last night? Or what did you eat this morning? Um, or if you know, they have siblings asking them how they are. If you know, the student has certain interests, talk about those things with them. Um, like I think about it, I'm like, I don't think this should be this hard to, you know, build a relationship with a student, yeah. but I've also met a couple students and worked with a few students that it takes a long time to build that trust and rapport. Yep. And it takes a lot of work as well. 
which I think that's the hard part for a lot of teachers. And again, thinking about the teacher that it's one of them in the classroom with a large classroom size, and they have this one student who's really struggling and they haven't had a chance to build that rapport, you know? So it's like, what does this look like in terms of feasibility for them to build this rapport? Um, or do we need to get them more support in the classroom? And those are definitely things that I am the first person to advocate for if I see in a classroom that, all right, we got one teacher in here. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Yes. You know, I think we need some support. Yes. I'll be emailing my supervisor sometimes yep. after that first observation. And, and that doesn't happen a lot. So if I am doing that, she usually knows that it's serious. Yep. <laughs> they do need some additional help. Yep. Um, but sometimes that's all it takes is, again, somebody from the outside stepping in and saying, okay, these are some things that we need to do, or this is some additional support that we do need here. Um, I do think, though, there is a big push for, I think, just acknowledging that relationship building is important right now. Um, not that this wasn't a thing prior to the pandemic, but I feel like this is a very big thing that has come about in the past couple of years, um, yep. how important relationship building is. Um, there's a lot of articles in terms of compassionate care, um, which was is really, they have a more, I would say, research and literature in the medical field in general, you know, think you're like bedside manner. Um, when we're thinking about compassionate care, but there are, are quite a few articles now coming out, especially in applied behavior analysis or the education world. Uh, Bridget Taylor, Dr. Bridget Taylor and colleagues, uh, they had an article about compassionate care um, and had done some thorough research on it um, with individuals, you know, diagnosed with autism and other, other intellectual disabilities and how important it was um, to really build rapport with not only the students, but the families as well. Mm -hmm. that, um, that they were working for and found some really good results when sometimes it took just me as the behavior analyst rather than when I call the parent saying, okay, this is what happened today. This is the issue that we have. Instead, first starting out, how are you doing today? Yep. You know, and sometimes it's something so easy as that. Um, and I look back on a lot of my previous experiences, especially working in more intense environments where I had to make those daily phone calls and I kick myself because I didn't ask some of those simple questions to that right. parent. Like, right. how are you doing as a person? You mm -hmm. know, when I call you every day <laughs> to sometimes <laughs> give you some bad news, you yeah. know, yeah. and yeah. I would try to fill it in with, well, here's some good things that happen, but just thinking back, you know, it, but again, I think in any, as any professional, in any um, expertise area here, I think we can learn from our mistakes and, you know, once we start reading things, okay, this is what I can do to be better, you know, in my job. And I have learned quite a lot from learning from mistakes in the past. Yeah, and, yep, exactly. and that's a big, and that, that was a big one for me was, yep. you know, just asking somebody, how are they doing? I always um, tell uh, a lot of our new teachers when we're first starting off in, I say, if you know, especially I, I'd recommend this for any, you know, for any student, but especially if you know, there's going to be some students who have some kind of significant behavior challenge in your class, it's coming to you in your classroom the sooner you can talk with that family, yep. the better off everybody's going to be. And if your first conversation can be something about, you know, I just want you to know John started today's first day and he did this really, really well. And I'm super proud of him. I'm so excited to work with him. A lot of those families don't hear that message. <laughs> they usually hear the message of this is what my kid's doing wrong. This is why the kid's driving me nuts and so forth. And it's just really, it's just not starting off on the right foot. And if we want to build any kind of support all the way around the student, 
we really got to find ways to pull in that family. So I, I'm glad you're, you're, you're yes. pointing that out. Yes. I, I mean, I think that's a huge one there. Um, and again, I don't think that's something we always think about because yep. again, you, you're, you're a teacher, even myself, you know, you've so many other things to worry about and it's like, Oh, it's the end of the day. I have to make this phone call to this parent yeah. when there's so many events that could have happened over that day. Yep. Um, and sometimes again, myself in particular, I have to stop myself and think, okay, I have to make this call or I have to have this conversation. How do I want this to go? And sometimes that's all it takes is just kind of taking a step back for a minute. Um, hit a pause before you call for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a great line. (laughs) Pause before you call. (laughs) (laughs) Should be a t-shirt. Yes. (laughs) Great one. Love that. Um, but yeah, so I, again, I think there's a lot of articles and things like that coming out right now, which I think are so important, you know, uh, not just the field of applied behavior analysis, but in education overall with, you know, compassionate care, um, but also trauma-informed care. Um, um, and I might butcher this name, so I apologize <laughs> to this person in advance, but um, Dr. Roger Rahman, um, I believe he's a professor at UMBC when I had looked up some of his stuff, but I was listening to a podcast called behavior observations. Um, and they're, you know, based in applied behavior analysis and have, you know, new articles talked about and things like that. And I was actually just listening to this last week. Um, you know, it's a very new thing to be thinking about trauma informed care and how we, um, approach that with students who engage in challenging behavior, just individuals overall who engage in challenge behavior in terms of assessment, evaluation, um, but also looking at functions of challenging behavior. Um, it's not something that there's a lot of, I think, research done or evidence behind certain things to be doing with trauma-informed care, but definitely something to be thinking about. Um, and really what it is, is one, just acknowledging that trauma could have occurred for the individual that you're working with and really just acknowledging that in the first place. Right. Um, and if that is the case, for myself in particular, I lean heavily on, you know, some of the school counselors within the district, um, as well as other therapy related services. Um, because if it is out of my expertise area, I need to be going to them to figure out, okay, so this is the plan that I'm looking to put in place. I want to make sure that I'm not doing anything one that's going to ever create something for an individual that could be, of re-traumatizing for them in terms of our responses to challenging behavior or anything that we're doing implementation wise. Um, so like I said, I lean heavily on, especially the school counselors or mental health professionals um, within the district to talk through that with any students in particular that um, we might be concerned about. Um, but again, something new in the field, but definitely something to be on the lookout for um, and being aware of overall. Yep. So I, I do want to dive into interventions that we can provide. But before we hit that, I really feel like we need to maybe you mentioned talking about uh, FBA, so functional behavior analysis yep. and so forth. Can can you just kind of lay out there uh, the importance of identifying triggers and things that may, you know, may be the cause of specific behaviors that you're seeing? Sure. Um I always like to say first is when we're talking about functions or triggers or, you know, those antecedents, Mm -hmm. um, it is so crucial for us to figure out the why it's happening. And that really is what a functional behavior assessment is all about is trying to figure out the, why is this occurring right now? Why is this occurring during this moment? 
um, why is this happening on a daily basis? Or why is this happening always at this time of day? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So figuring out the why is just so important. Um, And just looking at it from an overall perspective with, with the assessment. So once we do figure out that why, one of the biggest pieces within plan implementation is prevention overall. So if we can figure out that why, there might be so many things that we can just put in place in terms of antecedent management overall that sometimes that's the fix of just all the preventative strategies. You know, maybe it is looking at modifying the environment or maybe it is that you know what, I realize I'm not praising them enough during the day. I'm not telling them they're doing a good job or, you know what, I just realized I didn't call on them once today. Hmm. So sometimes it could just be little things like that. Um, Or maybe it's the rapport building piece of, you know what, this this student won't even say my name or won't even raise (laughs) my hand to get my attention because they don't want to talk to me, you know, Um, which happens and it's not anybody's fault. You know, maybe that rapport building takes a little bit longer for that individual. Um, But a lot of times figuring out the why piece, again, it's just so crucial because then there's so many things that we can put in place in terms of antecedent management to help that situation and prevent it from occurring in the first place. Right. And you know what? Sometimes we might have the best antecedent management strategies in place. And, you know, we've been, you know, waiting them out and we're helping them through this task and they still end up exploding. And that happens sometimes. Right. But it doesn't always, (laughs) it doesn't always happen. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, you know, I always say like, if you're looking for perfection, you know, education is not the place for you because you're not going to hit it. That is a hundred percent the truth in when you're talking about helping students with behavioral support. Um, yes. so you, if it's all about the small movement, can you develop them bit by bit? And it, if you want to be able to do that, especially with students with significant behavior challenges, mm-hmm. you have to be able to explore all the facets of it, right? Yes, you're exactly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're exactly right. Um, and I think going along with that too, when you're figuring out the why, a lot of it too could be in terms of prevention strategy, our behavior. And I don't think I missed that part above, like when where I was talking about the functional behavior assessment and plan implementation above, but in terms of prevention strategies, a lot of that is looking at our behavior. So how am I behaving during a certain instance, you know, where the student, they look like they're frustrated right now. What am I doing in that moment? Am I getting frustrated then with them? Am I raising my voice? Um, am I immediately saying to them, well, if you don't get this done, you're losing your recess day or you're going to lose recess time. Um, you know, or am I going over to them? I start to see that they're frustrated. Am I intervening quickly and saying, Hey, what's going on here? Is there anything I can help you with? You know, do you need some help? Um, if they do, Hey, thank you so much for letting me know you need help. I I really appreciate that. Let's work through this together. Um, and sometimes it's how we say it, you know, there's a big difference between me saying, do you need help versus, Hey, can I help you? There's a big, and that's something so small, but there's a huge difference between the two there. Um, I think also too, with praise in general as well. And I think these are things a lot of our students pick up on super easily is, are you genuine or not when you're giving them praise or providing them feedback? Or are you just giving them some rote responses of great job, guys, that was awesome. Or is it like, whoa, that was awesome. I love the way you walked down the hallway so safely. Like, 
this is so great, you know, yes. <laughs> being really big and yes. excited about it. it. A lot of our kids with behavior challenges, they're smart enough to know if you're faking it. <laughs> oh <my laughs> they gosh, pick yes. it up quick. They're going to be the first kid to recognize. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That is a, that is a hundred percent true. Also, too, you know, I oh, I've met some 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 students who are also so opportunistic, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, I saw that she's not looking at the door right now, or <laughs> she's not paying attention. She's not paying attention to me right now. I'm making my exit. That's know? right. That's a, this is my opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so, so uh, again, some of that prevention is just keeping a kid busy then, you yeah. know, especially when I go into a classroom and see some of those longer transition times where there's this break where students aren't doing anything. Um, and again, you might have some students that are well, do well with independent time, but what does independent time look like? Right. right. What exactly does that mean? Um, you know, and that goes back to, I think, just setting really clear expectations and having structure throughout your classroom during the day. And, and again, those are all those really good prevention strategies that you can put in place that maybe you don't even need to see me then. Right, <laughs> you, right. Some of those great initial, you know, and I, in our district, we're using that multi-tiered systems of support, but those really good, solid, you know, tier one and tier two intervention strategies where, you know, you're setting clear expectations. The students know what their classroom roles are. They know, okay, after this subject, I'm going right to this one. They know if they're going into like independent reading time, this is what it looks like, or, this is where I can sit in my classroom. Um, do you have flexible seating or not? You know, coming out of ooh, coming out of the pandemic yep. now, yep. I think you're, I'm starting to see more of that flexible seating. Um, but I've also seen some in some of the classrooms where maybe that's gone awry because they were like, okay, you can sit wherever you want. Right. But I think maybe we need to set some expectations with that. Absolutely. What does that mean? You can it can't be one you... all the way one way and all the way the other, you know, it usually ha- sure. usually you got to have a balance of some kind, right? Like if it's like, yes. we're just throwing caution at the wind, let's have a good time. I'm not sure yes. that's setting anybody up for success. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and don't even get me started on just picking and choosing your battles and power struggles. Right. Too. Right. You know, yeah. I think those are really big preventative strategies to think about um, with any student that we're working with, you know, especially if I have a kid who is having a really difficult time, maybe staying on task. Um, maybe they like to move around the room a little bit, or they like to stand at their desk. And those are some of the ways that they're still attending to the work that's being done up on the board. Sometimes that might not be the battle that we want to fight right now. Yep. You know, maybe it is, you know what? I have them paying attention. They might be standing up in the back of the room, but they're raising their hand and they're attending to it. They might be spinning every so often, but you know what? They raise their hand and they absolutely are listening to you. Yep. you know? you're, yeah, you're spot on. You know, it's interesting yeah. when we're talking about kids, um, you know, who are, who are struggling with behaviors. I think a lot of times, and it's really not anybody's fault. A lot of times our teachers and our paras, in many cases, our administrators too, they just don't have a background in what behavior support looks like. And so they just want things to get fixed, but that's not how it works. Like you don't plug kids into a, <laughs> into a diagnostic, like you do a car and say, well, here's the problem. We're going to fix it now. That's not how they work. So the small steps in, in seeing those small steps is really, really huge. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it's funny you say that. So I was just um, having a conversation with a colleague actually on Friday and yesterday, and we were talking about how I think a lot of times people hear that we're here and we're coming in the classroom. And I think do sometimes think we're like a magic wand, mm. you know, 
And you know what? I'd be out of a job if I was. (laughs) (laughs) You could sell your magic wand for big bucks though. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, but yeah, just behavior change overall. Um, and again, just thinking about going back to that, why behavior is occurring, you know, challenging behavior is a form of communication. This is how the student has learned to get access to their wants and needs. And again, depend going back to depending on their age, that could be a lengthy learning history that we're looking at. So, so in that case, change is going to take a while and it's not just going to take a while, but it's going to take consistency. So really implementing the strategies every day on a daily basis, multiple times a day, you know, that repetition is key there. So if we're not doing that every day or it's like, well, you know what? I just realized he didn't ask for a break today. You know what? I think he might've needed one earlier, but I was busy doing this and I didn't get a chance to, you know, but that could have been that moment during the day where we were doing that, you know, break request or, um, just in terms of responding to challenging behavior, um, intermittent reinforcement is so rough because <laughs> yeah. say we were really working on some planned ignoring strategies for maybe a yell, like screaming or yelling, and we're working on them raising their hand instead of calling out or something like that. And we just went three days where we were using really good ignoring strategies and they're raising their hands. And all of a sudden a new person comes in and maybe it's that administrator that, <laughs> that comes in and responds to them and says, do not yell. Hmm. You need to raise your hand. Well, they just got reinforced for it. And then right. we're starting back to square one. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's exactly right. Yeah. I told you Alex was amazing. She's really intelligent. She knows her stuff. And she gets she's out there in the classrooms helping, which is a big difference. She's not just sitting back in the cheap seats saying you should do this or you should do that. She's just really personable and works well and knows her stuff about behavior. Wait till you hear the next episode where she dives deeper into interventions and things you can do to support the behaviors in your classroom. I want to finish up in this episode talking a little bit about our recharged educator community. If you haven't joined yet, down in the show notes, Click the link, join the community. What are you waiting for? We've got an amazing group of really supportive people. And it's all about celebrating things that are going great for you, the small celebrations. It's also about being real sometimes and offering what's troubling you and what's really weighing you down. We do it all, we're doing all that and having some laughs too. Just it's all about trying to support you. Well, I hope you join. Because we've also got some new stuff coming down the pike that I'm super jacked up about. We've started a mastermind group, and that could look a variety of different ways, but we started off with show up and let's just talk about some things that are weighing you down stress-wise. That was really, really great. And we're going to continue to do some of those mastermind groups moving forward. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to bring in some talent to talk to you on a live Zoom call. So you can, if you're a member of the community, and again, if you're not in the community, in order to access this live content, you're going to have to get in. You need to be there. We're going to bring in talent, and they're going to share a variety of different things and have some Q&A. So for example, April 6th, we've arranged for Laura Rizzo, an amazing counselor from Texas 
El Paso, Texas. And she's going to talk all about loving yourself, SEL love. She's a great person. She's so enthusiastic. We actually did a podcast with, with her back in uh, the end of last year. You can go back and check it out. She's just a really good person. She's going to do a, a, a live live show with us. I want you to get in on that. Also, we're in the works of finalizing having this amazing principal from Los Angeles jump on with us. You might have heard of him, Aman Ra. He is a high school principal that does, he's kind of gone out to figure out innovative ways to support kids in inner city LA in an unbelievably productive school that he has worked to, to grow and build. He's coming in and meeting with the community members. He's going to share some stuff. He's going to open up questions. I'm really excited about where we're going with this. And we're trying to bring in some people, some really big-time players, probably at least once or twice a month. Got to be in the community to get there, though. I hope you join. Ladies and gentlemen, I know the behaviors in your classroom have been really weighing you down. I know it because I see it. I talk to our teachers. I talk to our paraprofessionals. I talk to the principals. It's tough. There's more behavior challenges now than we've ever had. So I feel your pain. I've stood in your shoes. I, working in special education for many, many years, I know what it's like. I know it's tough. However, I also know the importance of diving deeper to try to help those students. You can do it. It takes time. You got to try to be patient, and it's not easy work. It is not easy work. So, you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of yourself so you can take care of them. Thank you for stopping in. I appreciate you out there in education land. I hope you stop in next time to see more of the amazing Alex Held. We'll see you again soon. Party time. It's like, oh, 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 sirens are going off in my head. We're going to try to just not be horrible. I'm watching you, exhausting entertainers. Always watching. Last Christmas. <laughs>